I'm really happy to have Florian here with me today. He is uh, the founder of Venture Idea and uh, talking about new f uh, new work. <laughs> I need to be always careful because I'm always I'm tending to say new food, um, new work, new work, new work. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you have um, feedback for us, uh, use the hashtag More Meetup on United. Um, and um, yeah, and as always, please also provide us with some feedback. Maybe you have some ideas about some topics that we need to tackle in our sessions here. And yes, so Florian, the stage is yours, and please you. give a warm walk welcome to Florian. And yeah, thank you that you are here with us today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, uh, Fabio, for the quick introduction. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's so weird to listen to my voice. I hate my voice. Um, but anyways, um, it's a short week. It's Tuesday, um, so maybe this experiment is, uh, is an easy one for you right now. Um, bear with me here for, for one second. Let's just um, imagine today is Saturday instead of Tuesday. Saturday, you're not here. You don't have to be here. You can be at home. You can do whatever you like. You can do sports, watch TV, be with your family, whatever it is. How does that feel for you? Is that a good feeling? Yeah. yeah I see some smiling faces here. Yeah, nodding. It's good, it's positive, it's free, it's nice, right? And now let's move, uh, move on a day to Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. And the first thoughts about the new week are coming in, like about projects, about deadlines, about your boss, maybe your coworkers, the canteen, this place. Do you still feel okay? Is it good? Good feeling? Yes, that's perfect. <laughs> then you're one of the few, um, because usually when you talk to people and ask these questions, you get the answer that feels not so positive. You know, even anxiety can, can be there on a Saturday, uh, Sunday evening, sorry. Um, actually, 42% of Germans have something called a Sunday or Monday depression. That's having real anxiety of thinking about the first week of the day, and that's problematic. But we really learned that Weekends are good, no work is always good, and work is always bad and somehow negative. And I can really uh, feel this because when I started my first job 15 years ago, a large energy company, I had the same feeling. It was really, really, really hard, not because it was so challenging and so much to do, but there was nothing to do at all. One of the first things my boss said to me was, um, Mr. Lancer, you have to start working more slowly because there was nothing to do at all and I had to basically play work and uh, as a motivated person I became really frustrated and I started working only the bare minimum, I started working against the company, only looking at my personal benefit and I got really um, upset, almost depressed. Today we have this term called bore out syndrome, 15 years ago it didn't exist, but there, there, there are hundreds of reasons why people get frustrated with their work, there was mine, um, there, there, there's a big facet of different, different reasons why. But I want to share some numbers with you that are really, really interesting because there are only 15% of German employees that are actually motivated. 15%. So what about the rest? There's 71% that are only doing the bare minimum. Huh? 71%. And the rest, 14%, which is still 5 million people, um, they actually um, internally quit already. So that's bad news since uh, this causes also an economic damage of 100 billion euros every year just in Germany. 
Yeah, it's really, really bad news. So in the past years, what we've been doing, um, we were looking at the fact that a bad job can cause a bad job, so people actually working poorly and damaging the company. And looking at the flip side of it, so can a good job actually cause people to have a better life and perform better, so have a positive effect on the bottom line? That was um, why we started writing the book and why we really looked deep into this from a um, practical perspective with our clients and also from a um, scientific perspective. And um, we were not the only ones. There was a really interesting study um, conducted by Glassdoor. You know Glassdoor, the trip advisor of uh, the you know, employer world, where you can basically write reviews about your employer. And they um, created a, a virtual stock portfolio of their best places to work. You know, the companies where the working conditions are the best and where employers are the, are the happiest. And they found out that the stock portfolios with the uh, best places to work outperformed the S&P 500 by far. There's a lot of research on this topic. The University of Pennsylvania did a lot on this. Um, the effect of happiness at the workplace and the actual stock value. Really interesting to look at, at the bottom line. And um, this is interesting because when you look at happiness, for example, we know that happy employees are not only 31% more productive, but three times more creative. So if you look at the flip side of this bad news I was presenting, 100 billion of um, economic damage, you can also see it as a, as a really good news because there's a high potential here. You know, there's a treasure hidden there. And if you, if you kind of improve our management of these resources, we can actually create a big impact, not only for the lives of the employees, but also for the bottom line. And um, we've been looking at a lot of different aspects in the whole employee journey, from recruitment to retirement, like working times, development, at the physical workspace, and so on and so on. But since today it's um, leadership by example, I want to talk about leadership, leadership by example, about attitude, and about hierarchy. Because uh, in my daily job, I, I hear a lot that um, companies more and more want to abolish hierarchy, um, which can make complete sense, but not in any, any instance. Um, we're really used to the fact that we have leaders at the top and followers at the bottom, because, uh, I mean, most of our corporate structures are derived from the military. You know, the military was the first organization, organizations, which managed uh, to have really complex organizations, with a lot of people, a lot of supply chain and uh, com complex situations. So, no wonder that uh, companies in the early ages copied these structures, and we're still kind of living these, these structures um, derived from the military. But you can also um, look closer at the military and see that there are differences. If you look at special forces, for example, the Navy SEALs are a really intriguing example, and probably the best special force in, in the world, by the way. And they are obviously really hierarchical. They're still military. But um, they also have this... Um, really servant and situative understanding of leadership. You know, their motto is, their, their, their guiding principle is um, ready, to, uh, ready to lead, ready to follow, never to quit. Ready to lead, ready to follow, never to quit. So they actively use critical thinking to, to, to find the best solution to get to their objective for the operation, even if it means following another member of the team, even if that means for the, for the commander to follow, follow others. So um, this is different in companies. 
We have the hierarchy. The hierarchy defines the roles, and the roles basically define our decision-making process. And that that's can be really, really problematic. And I want to share an example with you why, why it is. It's an extreme example, but bear with me here for one second. Um, Asiana Airlines, South Korean airline, was struggling a lot with um, safety issues, even plane crashes, so big catastrophes. And they were investing heavily in maintenance, in training, in safety, and nothing seemed to improve, nothing seemed really to help. Uh, until there was an MIT professor called Thomas Cochin, was his name, and he looked into it from a different perspective and found something really, really interesting. He looked at the communication prior to the plane crashes, and he found out that the captain and the first officer didn't even discuss the issue before crashing the plane. And this is due to um, two traits that are really common in the South Korean culture. And this is um, respect for seniority and a very authoritarian leadership style. So the, the co-pilot, which job is, is to question the decisions of his uh, captain, was not able to speak up, you know, was not willing to speak up because it's not part of the culture. And after they changed that, they dramatically increased the safety. So there was a cultural thing, you know, speaking up to leaders can be, can be very powerful. And you, you get why I'm telling you this, because leaders obviously are never right. Not, not always right. <laughs> never right. That was not what I was going to say. Not always right, so there has to be a corrective sometimes. And if you look at the other side of the coin, um, let's go to the US, let's go to the 18th uh, century, uh, to the Civil War, George Washington. Um, great anecdote. He was, uh, he was uh, riding through the battlefields and he stumbled upon uh, a bunch of soldiers struggling to move a piece of, of timber, foot, and um, there was a corporal next to them on his horse and was yelling at them and was giving instructions, but they were just not able to, to move this, this piece of wood. So George Washington got off his horse and he helped the soldiers. He went into the mud and helped them physically and they managed to, to achieve it. And then he went to the corporal who didn't recognize him at the time and he said, why didn't you help your soldiers? And the corporal said, yeah, can't you see I'm a corporal? And George Washington said, okay, I'm sorry. Um, but next time you need help, just ask for your commander-in-chief and I'll come. So this is called servant leadership, you know, having the objective of the operation into, my, into, into, into in, in, as a core of everything and being able to actually follow and to serve the, the whole uh, group. For example, my company, we are um, four partners and one managing partner is Lucas. And his role as managing partner is not to tell us what to do. His role is to have our backs. So he's doing all the communication, all the sales, um, all the administ administrative work. So we can basically focus on our job 95% of our time every day. And he always has our back when there's you know, something coming in. Um, we need him as a sparing partner, whatever. He's just there to, make, to enable us to perform our jobs, more like an abbot in a monastery rather than a hierarchical dictator, uh, leader, sorry. But it doesn't have to be this, this radical. You know, new work examples are always usually small companies and it's really hard to do it in a big company and you always have this discussion. Um, there was this uh, really interesting man, Rolf Siegmund. Uh, I worked with him a lot in my last project. He used to be, until recently, a CEO at um, L'Oreal um, Lux. And 
he shared this really interesting story with me. He said um, after his 10 years anniversary, and he spent like 35 years, I think, uh, in the company, he went to the office and was expecting something. You know, he was happy. He was like, okay, there's, there's going to be recognition. You know, I served 10 years in this uh, company, and it's going to be going to be a great day for me. Um, but what happened is nothing, nothing. No one even recognized that it was his special day. So no, nobody noticed and nobody did anything. And he became so frustrated and upset uh, and demotivated that he said, okay, once I'm the boss here, I'm never going to do it like this. And that's what he did. He became the boss. And he, he, he's doing a lot, but there's one simple thing that really amazed me. It's, it's really simple. He asked his assistant to put all the um, dates of the anniversaries of his employees in his calendar. And what he's, what he's doing is, on this special date, he's calling them directly to thank them for their for their service, it's like the military, to, to thank them for their time in the company. And that's the servant leadership part. Ask them if they needed anything. You know, they have the direct contact to the top leader. And he asked them, okay, do you need anything? Can I help you with anything? You know, what do you need to, to do your job better? And these little things can, can actually do a lot. You know, can only improve motivation, but can, can create big benefits and he's doing that all the time you know when I, when I was working with him in a, in a meeting room and we went over time and there was I don't know some interns coming in who, who booked the room he would just leave the room and say okay you book the room and I as a CEO I, I move so you know this leadership on eye level is something that that really really amazed me what is important about this servant leadership I'm talking about it's not a leadership style it's an attitude it's something that every leader should have all the time no matter the circumstances you know, having the objective in mind and helping your employees to perform, you know. Leadership style, on the other hand, is circumstantial. It's something that changes due to the situation. You know, for example, when we go back to the Navy SEALs, when they're in a dangerous situation, it can be extremely um, beneficial to have a commanding leadership style. You know, but at the same time, the leader will always protect and honor the team and always act in the interest of the whole operation. It's the same thing also in, in, in the company. In times of crisis, it can be beneficial under circumstances to have a commanding leadership style. In times of change, it might be a more visionary or coaching leadership style. So this can change, but the attitude of communicating on eye level and helping employees is a different one. And what is interesting about what I was talking about so far is that it appears that you can actually detach attitude and leadership style from hierarchy. So uh, since in our today's world we don't need commanders and soldiers anymore, we can just get rid of it, right? And that's what I hear a lot when I talk to clients. Okay, we have to get rid of our hierarchy um, as, a, as a goal, not as a means. It can be super beneficial, and I'm sure we're going to hear something later, I'm not sure. But it's, uh, it's, it's not, a, not definitely uh, a goal. Uh, one thing before doing that is actually asking your employees first. There was a really interesting study conducted by Keenbaum. They asked 14,000 employees whether they would uh, like to abolish hierarchy. And there was a tiny minority who said yes. And more importantly, two-thirds of them said, um, actually, um, they actually wished for a leader to give them clear tasks, clear guidelines uh, in which they can operate without actually, and that's important, monitoring too much, you know, not a dictatorship, but guidance and leadership. So. Uh, there's no real one-size-fits-all, you know. The military has to be probably pretty hierarchical. For a tech startup or a small company like ours, it can make a lot of sense to have no hierarchy at all and to be more in a reciprocal leadership 
um, style and for large corporations, it could make sense to allow for more flexible leadership within the hierarchical boundaries that are optionally, uh, that, that, that are obviously there. But my point being is that it's important not only to talk about hierarchy. There are different aspects like the goals and the attitude that have, you have to keep in mind. And I, I want to finish with some questions you can ask yourself to reflect this. And they can be really powerful if you think about it. First is, do you know a servant leader in your company? If you really think about it. And how do you perceive him or her? Can be really, really interesting thought. Second, would you get off your horse like George Washington? Really ask yourself and be honest with yourself. Would you do the same? And on the other hand, would you speak up to the pilot, to the captain, before the plane crashes? And, and that's important, is this behavior rewarded or punished in your culture? You know? So maybe there's something um, that is worth working on. So you see, it's really important not to act due to reflex, but to reflection. And that's true for all areas of the employer journey. That's where all new work um, methods should uh, get into place, from recruitment to retirement. And you see the reflection is basically key to untap this potential of the 100 billion I was mentioning earlier. And so I think it's really worth giving it some thought, right? Do you have any questions to Florian? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was too quick. No, there are no questions. I asked so too many questions. Yeah. <laughs> do you have, um, besides the three questions that you had in the end, do you have some quick wins that uh, our audience can take with them and uh, to improve their leadership today? Is there something, what would you say? The example uh, with Rolf Sigmund was, of course, uh, 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 already one, to have, to, to have really a personal relationship to these people. But, uh, I mean, this was just after he had self-pain with, <laughs> with the situation, but maybe yeah, you have yeah. some, some, some uh, recommendations for us? Yeah, leadership is always something really abstract. You know, when you talk about leadership, it's always this big concept, and you have a lot of slides about it, and you have this um, different, different aspects of it. But I think there's so many aspects in everyday life. You know, the little things, like the meeting rooms, like mm. who, is, who is cleaning the cups, or, you know, like these, these tiny mm. little things. Um, can you actually call your leader when you really need? Can you ask the right questions? Do you get the support? And if not, how can you actually ask for the support? So these, these tiny little things that can be extremely powerful from my, from my experience. That's, that's what, what I want to open the eyes for. You know? that's, that's kind of why I'm asking these questions to, to, to start reflecting and not just looking at things as they are you know, because you can always change the little things. You know, bottom up is always a, thing to, a way to change leadership, not only top down. Thank you very much.